Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I am Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, today I got a whole bunch of questions just ready to come at you and we might go in a bunch of different directions with this. Um, but I wanted to start with kind of a more global picture since obviously you're a priest and you've been formally trained in the faith. You're going to have a different perspective of the world than I do coming from the more capitalism business side of my day-to-day to just get the houses running, keep the crews paid, they can keep their families happy, so on and so forth. So in my world, I know what the biggest problems are to me, but I also have a little zoomed in on my business and my partner's type vision of it. And what I wanted to start with was you having a much different perspective. Kind of what do you see as the biggest problem that's out there that, you know, I may or may not even know is a thing. Wow. What a beautiful question. Even for you to ask that question is uh, a a fruit of your not being too myopic in your focus on your business. And uh, so that's, uh, that's beautiful to reflect on. Um, And I have, you know, I'm, I'm not the, uh, well, let me say also, this is a question that was asked of John Paul II in, and was answered in the book Crossing the Threshold of Hope. They said, you know, what does the Pope pray for, right? Mm-hmm. You know, what are, the, what are the world problems that you see, Holy Father? And uh, he, of course, has the most global vision. Sure. I'm still somewhat provincial, you know, somewhat regional, because I spend a lot of my day with people in this area. And I see, I get a, I get a interesting cross section of people that I meet with for spiritual direction. Uh, you know, families, uh, well, parents, um, college students, seminarians, priests, religious sisters. You know, uh, single people, young, old, whatever. So I, I get a pretty interesting cross section of people, but. Um, I think one of the things that I see so often is the the impact that broken families have on people. And our society is really good at producing broken families. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting. I've just I've become more and more convicted about this. And I think that you know, we focus a lot on uh in the church on, on abortion, and rightly so, because mm-hmm. killing innocent children is obviously only creating more problems, not solving any problems. But something that we seem to pay no attention to is no-fault divorce. And it's really a modern concept. No-fault divorce is is a product of whatever, the 50s or something. I mean, it's fairly recent. And it kind of just happened, and nobody paid attention. You know, or we we get very focused on uh, gay marriage, or uh, even on contraception, but don't pay a lot of attention to no fault divorce. And I don't want to step too deeply into that uh, danger zone because certainly having the opportunity—I mean, having having marriages that are broken and abusive are another problem—and mm-hmm. and no fault divorce was an attempt to address that, although a big club to handle a not as big problem. 
and it's created a lot more problems. To come back to the point, a lot of the struggles I see and, and some of the hardest ones to overcome come from, from broken families, from not having fathers and mothers who love each other and know how to love their children. Even to take a step back from divorced families, even when families stay together, but there isn't a father or there isn't a mother uh, who really knows how to love their children, that their own issues, you know, we were talking about emotions in the last podcast, but where father's anger becomes the regular emotion expressed against junior. And it just causes so many uh, issues that then get passed on and passed on and passed on. We talk about generational sin, for example, uh, alcoholism and addictions. And now, uh, I should say another, probably the most prominent problem that I see in the confessional and, and just so universally is pornography. Mm-hmm. So much pornography and, and the, uh, well, the, the capital from pornography is greater than all ma- four major sports combined. You know, really? Billions of dollars of revenue from pornography, billions and billions of dollars of revenue from pornography. I mean, it's just an incredible, an incredible monster of a problem. And the number of men, first of all, but also women who have pornography addictions, regular struggles, are are really weighed down by that. The impact of pornography on families and marriages, the objectification that's happening, you know, we're we're doing. We're getting all this, you know, hashtag Me Too and uh, the sexual abuse in the workplace and sexual abuse in Hollywood, and but so much of that is driven by pornography. If it didn't start there, it's certainly, you know, that's fuel for the fire. The more that we look at people as objects that we can use for our own pleasure, the more twisted our hearts become and unable to see the uniqueness and beauty of every human person. So, those are some big ticket items that I see. So broadly, and just uh, just huge issues, and again, that leads to a lot of complications when we don't have the family. Uh, the average age of exposure to pornography is age nine, and uh, you know when you start that young, and again, that's a consequence of families. Uh, there's a variety of things happening there, and it's so prevalent on the internet. People can stumble across it, but usually early on. Our, if we just stumble across something, our our hearts are pure enough to have some reaction to it. Oh, disgusting! You know what's that? And but if there's some positive connotations, like those are dad's websites or magazines, or that's in the context of some friendship and experimentation, or that's the big brother who exposed me to it, then it pushes us toward having a positive acceptance of it because it gets tied up in those positive relationships, which are having a negative influence on us, you know? So anyway, all that stuff comes from families, family wounds, broken families. Now we've always had broken families, but Mm -hmm. there's a certain acceptance of it and kind of magnification of it in the modern day that's facilitated by things like no fault divorce and contraception and abortion and gay marriage and pornography, and, you know, we just see all of these, we've sort of legalized all of this stuff that gives us the sense that it's not that bad, 
and then that just makes it worse and worse and worse. It just keeps magnifying. And so kind of stepping into that juggernaut and trying to turn it around, I, I look at that and just get a little woozy sometimes. And then I just put my head down and I focus on the person in front of me who's wounded by a lot of that stuff. And the answer to all of it is love. You know, uh, what can I do? Can I turn around a whole culture? Well, not single-handedly, but can I bring God's love to this person? Yeah, I can do that. And is that going to make a difference for them? Yeah, love is stronger than death. And so I just sort of persistently bring God's love to this person and bring my own love to them as well. But uh, anyway, those are a few things off the top of my head that I see persistently and broadly having a huge impact on our, on our whole society. And that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you can see how they're correlated into each other for sure. Um, if not causing, but definitely correlated. Um, so on that note, just as a, as a question, um, I don't know if this is something that, that is a church thing or society thing or what, but how do you make people get better being married? I mean, I just went through this process and I obviously wasn't fully prepared for all of this, you know, and I don't know if there's any way you ever really could be. Um, but the question is out there nonetheless. Well, I think part of the problem is the splintering that's happened in our society that we don't have neighborhoods anymore. You know, we don't have extended families anymore. We don't have really vibrant families of families that we call parishes anymore the family unit at best is a thing even that's quite splintered and we talk more about individuals we have a lot of individualism and i think the more that we're able to foster communion and bonds of friendship and fellowship i think it fills in a lot of holes because you know your parents i'm sure are great people uh, and they taught you how to parent, and that gave you, you know, an 80% in parenting for a variety of reasons. One, because you can't be a, 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 a duplicate image of them because you're made differently. Two, because you're not going to pick up everything they taught you. And three, because they're missing some things, you know. So you start out parenting from a good family, from good parents at maybe 80%. Maybe that's high. And then... What's going to fill that out? Where are you going to learn the rest of it? Well, if you had a good family, you know, a good friendship network and you have other young couples and you talk to young couples and you learn from them and then you have a priest that you can talk to on a podcast, you know, and you learn from him and then you have a, a, a parish that you're, you're drawing from and you have an extended family and you've got an uncle and a grandma and, a, you know, then you're kind of filling in a lot of those empty spaces places where maybe you've been wounded or you didn't learn as well, and you're kind of filling in the whole picture better to get yourself up to 90 or 95% in your parenting. And that's what we had with stronger communities. That's what we can have with stronger communities of, of families, better support networks. So I think reaching out and, and fostering some of those bonds is really important. What we are losing geographically, like we used to have a neighborhood and you actually knew your neighbors, mm -hmm. that's still a possibility. I'm not ruling that out. But if we're being spread out more virtually, okay, well, let's use the virtual for a good purpose. 
just like you and I are doing. You know, we've had almost none of these conversations in person. (laughs) We've done a lot of this over video camera, you know, over uh, a video cast. So let's use the technology for good purpose and build bonds of friendships. Let's develop our extended families. Let's keep in touch with our college roommates or whatever it is to really support each other in the struggles that we have. And I think it's a a way to address uh, some of the problems. uh, I I mentioned Archbishop Shapu's book a couple of times, Strangers in a Strange Land. And uh, a friend of mine who is really fostering Christian community among young people in a, a volunteer organization called the Culture Project She's really found that community is a response to a lot of the problems that we're facing. And she's thinking about writing a a follow-up book called Strangers No More. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And how do we not be strangers in a strange land? By creating a new homeland in which we're not strangers because we're known, because we have community, because we have friendships and uh, communal, you know, uh, yeah, communities that we're forming, especially around the the great bond of faith and the love that comes from faith. And then we stop being strangers, individuals, isolated, and we can really learn from each other, support each other, build on on what we can offer each other. Okay. Uh, Well, one of my my questions I have here coming off of this was, I guess it's going along the the same lines, um, is when should people get married? Because we see all these stats that people are getting married later and later in life. Um, You know, when should you? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think it's a question of uh, of maturity. And I I answer that question, you know, I mean, I I work with uh, young people who are asking that question and looking at the possibility of marriage and... It's going to be different in different cases. And I think primarily a a question of maturity. Now, there needs to be a little bit of financial stability. I mean, uh, getting married in college is going to raise its own questions. It's certainly not an impossibility. Uh, I I used to kind of uh, frown on wedding rings because I thought, well, what does a diamond mean? But, you know, there's if you can't afford an engagement ring, then maybe you can't afford to be married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if you can't develop, uh, if you can't save enough to actually make a substantial contribution like that to your beloved, then maybe, you know, we need to look at where the job situation is and why that's the case. So there's something about financial stability that matters. Again, it's not a sole criterion. Um, there are certainly poor people who get married, sure. and there are beautiful things that happen from that. Um, so I think the the emotional stability and ready readiness to make a commitment also matters. That you need to be able to comprehend a uh, a lifelong commitment and be ready to take that on. And if you don't comprehend that, if there isn't a little bit of trepidation there, um, I'm wondering whether it's you know it's really sinking in or not. Um, so I think the families also are an important consideration. You know, you can say, well, our families aren't the ones getting married. You know, Susie and I are the ones getting married. Well, yes, but really two families are getting married in you. Mm -hmm. And so 
it's again it's not the sole criterion and there can be some naysayers or some difficulties or some things that still need to be resolved but you want to have a good relationship between the families and 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 you know do your best to make sure that they're on board um, obviously you know the discernment uh, in in the marriage preparation time there are some good surveys about whether you've talked through all the issues and you're sufficiently on the same page about how you're going to raise children and manage finances and you know somebody's going to stay at home somebody's going to have a career who's going to stay at home when the children are sick the, you know, a lot of real simple questions but are really important for making sure that two people are on the same page that they at least have the communication skills to work things out when they come up or that they're already substantially of one mind and one heart to be able to move forward together so making sure that that communion is really there. But having said that, you know, I, my brother got married to his wife less than a, a year after they met. Mm -hmm. They have a wonderful marriage of uh, however many years it's been, 20-some 20, 20 years, and uh, beautiful marriage. I know another couple that, you know, had their first connection through online dating September 15th, got married August 15th. Beautiful marriage. Oh, just beautiful people. And I often say to people, you know, you don't need to, like, have everything all lined up. If you both really love Jesus, if you're both really able to make a commitment, there needs to be real love there mm -hmm. um, and a real a real openness to love also. And uh, And then you can work out a lot of things on the go, you know. But so anyway, that's a, a way of not really giving an answer to your question and saying there are a lot of factors that need to be brought in. And uh, so people should have some help asking and answering that question. Help from family, help from friends, help from priests, help from, you know, whatever, marriage prep. Uh, I like the marriage preps that match couples up with married couples, you know, mature married couples. I think that's a, a great like-to-like -like ministry. That's really important. So, anyway, just a few thoughts. Yeah, one of the um, one of the things you said in there, I kind of think might be lurking in the background of all the original problems you said there up front, which was the maturity aspect of it. Because um, I'm noticing that a lot on my side of the world that that seems to be lacking more and more, and. I don't know how you address that. Um, how do you address that? How do you how do you fix that issue? Because it seems to be that's a a flowing theme with everything else you went through there. Yeah. Well, one one definition of of maturity that I think of is the capacity to delay gratification, and we develop that capacity by doing it. So dying to ourselves, not indulging our impulses that goes back to your question from the last podcast about emotions you know we when we're two it's okay for us to say but i want it and then to morph that into but i need it <laughs> no you don't uh, and you're going to be just fine now there's a lot of indulgence that's happened a lot of self-indulgence a lot of indulgence from parents and part of that is the same, going back to the same problem, that when you have broken families, I mean, God bless single mothers and single fathers, but 
there's only so much of you to go around. And when you can't deal with your children because they're throwing a tantrum, you give them what they want, and that doesn't develop maturity. Again, that's a simplification. I know that those situations are complex, but that's just one pattern that happens, and then people don't develop the maturity of delaying gratification. They don't develop virtue. They don't develop the virtue of temperance and fortitude and prudence, justice. So they, they don't develop those those cardinal virtues. And then how do you develop that? Well, again, by doing it. And there's no way to rush that process. There's no pill that you can take that's going to suddenly prepare the maturity that you need to be married. And that's where somebody also may have to make the hard statement and say, you don't have the maturity to get married. You need to take some more time, you know, be engaged for a couple of years or, or just break off the engagement and date or whatever it is. Um, but the best answer is for us to work on it now, not wait until we're in a situation that we've got to delay marriage. Work on maturity, delaying gratification, uh, not just following every emotional impulse, but learning to discern. And, and there's, a, there's this kind of intensive program that spread around. It started in uh, Mount St. Mary's Seminary called Exodus 90. Somebody mm -hmm. developed it, I think, last year for the anniversary of Fatima. And it's 90 days of, first of all, getting a group of uh, men together or a group of women together. So you have the mutual support. You're doing it together. And you have that mutual accountability. And then it's things like, I don't remember all of it, but it's things like fasting on bread and water Wednesdays and Fridays, uh, no television Monday through Saturday, uh, no video games, Monday through Saturday, no, uh, and I think it's a rosary every day and like 15 minutes of mental prayer every day and uh, no, maybe no alcohol Monday through Saturday. Anyway, it's a, you know, and then if you're going to make an exception because like, oh, I have this big banquet to go to and it'll be awkward if I'm not doing this thing, you got to ask permission from the group. So, uh, you're really holding each other accountable. It's building community. You're spurring each other on. You're learning to die to yourself. You're not indulging all of those impulsive things. There's uh, some good temperance in that, good sacrifices. And it's, uh, it's, it's, an, it's an admirable program. I really appreciate the, uh, you know, some of the virtue that can be formed by being faithful to that. So just an example of how we can spur each other on now. Our spiritual lives can become a great source of uh, development and virtue if we take it seriously and challenge ourselves. Oh yeah. There's definitely something to a disciplined structure. Um, I think anyone who's been on a, a team that's, you know, gone through that, you can, you can see that, you know, even if it's been a long time ago, there, there's definitely something to that. Um, okay. So, um, so father, we, we've obviously hit upon a, a bunch of things here. Is there anything else that you want to, make sure that we discuss here today uh, before we conclude this cast. Um, I, I actually, I do want to mention just uh, real quickly, Pope Francis has a new apostolic exhortation out. It came out a couple weeks ago. I can't remember. I think we might've mentioned it in a couple podcasts ago, but I just want to mention it again and really encourage our listeners to download it from the Vatican website. It's called in English, rejoice and be glad in mm -hmm. The Latin title, which is usually used for these things, is Gaudete et Exultate, 
which means rejoice and be glad. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can find it on the Vatican website, uh, just the main page. It says Gaudete et Exultate, or you can look under Apostolic Exhortations. It'll be the top of the list. And it's about holiness. And Pope Francis just gives us that daily path to holiness. Now, maturity is a psychological word. Ultimately, what we're talking about is holiness. You know, maturity is one of the consequences of holiness. Maturity is what comes through virtue, and developing heroic virtue is the path of of holiness, which, as Pope Francis is reminding us, is for everyone. Everyone is called to holiness, and God wants to help all of us to grow in holiness. It's not just something for the great saints, and it's not just great moments, but it's day by day, and every one of us is is included. So Pope Francis wanted to write this apostolic exhortation, and he says, basically, there are great saints. We canonize them. We look to their examples. We admire them. There's the St. Francis and the St. Dominic and the St. Benedict and the St. John Paul and the St. Teresa of Calcutta. There are those great saints. We look to them. They're wonderful. And he says, I'm going to set all of those aside right now, and I'm going to talk about the holiness that God is calling all of us to. Mm-hmm. And he says, this, this is an exhortation for the middle class of holiness. <laughs> I love that, you know. So uh, he really talks about the kinds of daily decisions and the daily temptations and, uh, and, and the way that God is calling each of us uniquely to live that out. He's not calling me or you to be Pope John Paul or Mother Teresa or St. Francis. Not that we can't be inspired by them, but he's calling you to be St. Joe Rocky and me to be St. Boniface Hicks and our listeners to be saint whoever they are mm-hmm. and that's going to be unique. Each person has their own mission to live has their own message to proclaim an aspect of the life of Christ, an aspect of the gospel that's been entrusted to us personally to live out and to proclaim by our lives and so it's really it's a wonderful exhortation that's what I'm really trying to do is sell it it goes along with really everything we've been talking about but looking mm-hmm. at that personal call to holiness you want to turn around a society, you want to address all the problems, become a saint. That's what God is providing for us. And then we'll address the problems that are ours to address. And we'll start to be 11 in the world by our own holiness. Perfect. Perfect. Well, that sounds like a plan there. And then we will uh, we will definitely be around next week for everyone. And then all the weeks thereafter, we do hope that you continue to tell friends about us, to uh, to follow us on Twitter, to give us the reviews you have been it really does make a difference, even if it seems so small. So we thank you so much, and we'll see you guys next week.